0: We're going through the gospel according to John in a series called finding life in Jesus name and today Jesus addresses a big elephant in the room of his life of his ministry and maybe this is something maybe this is something that you have wondered about as well in either considering the Christian faith or considering the person of Jesus or just kind of like hearing what people say and how people talk about Christianity out in the world, maybe this is a question that you've had too. Where does Jesus get the authority to say and do everything that he says and does? Where does Jesus get the authority or to put a finer point on it maybe, what gives him the right to tell me what to do? Now that's usually our problem, isn't it? We don't mind too much some religious figure telling other people what to do. It's a little more uncomfortable when it's, we're on the receiving end of this. Well, very often when I talk to people out in the world, just regular people, about the Christian faith, the objections to Christianity generally have nothing to do with the person of Jesus. For some reason, there seems to be like a general acceptance today or even an appreciation of Jesus in our culture, Uh, even among people who would never set foot in, in a church. But the objections often center Instead, on the the morals or the ethics of Christianity, of what is taught to be right or wrong according to the Bible. Now, this could be in the area of sexuality, the sexual ethic of Christianity, or it's teaching on whatever else, gender or money or forgiveness or something else. I think the objections tend to change over time. But many people hear parts of these teachings and think, I could never be a part of that. I just can't accept that teaching. But here's the deal. If Jesus is who he claims to be, then he has the authority, he has every right, in fact, to tell us how we ought to live. But if he isn't who he claims to be, then nothing he says matters. There's no in-between. But this isn't just a modern thing. This isn't just a modern question that modern people have. It was no different 2,000 years ago. It was no different in Jesus' own day. When people met him or heard him teach or saw his ministry, interacted with him in some way, he was constantly asked different versions of the same question, where do you get the right? Where, who or what gives you the authority to be saying and doing these things? Well, how would Jesus respond? How would he defend himself in these accusing questions? Well, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, please take it and open it to John chapter five. We're starting with verse 16. And I confess, this is a longer passage. It's all one response. And so I think we need to take the whole thing together. But fear not, we'll try to explain it or unpack it as we go here today. So, John chapter five, starting with verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Okay, let's pause here for now. So our passage picks up kind of right where we left off last week with the healing of the man at Bethesda. And so Jesus, if you recall from last week, Jesus was in Jerusalem during a busy festival time and he healed a man who had been unable to walk for 38 years. And this was the third sign of the seven signs Uh, or miracles that John presents of Jesus. And, And this was a sign not only of the power of Jesus to heal, but also to restore what had been lost. Jesus restored to this man his mobility and so much more. But there was a problem, at least in the eyes of some, Not the man, obviously, but some, because Jesus had healed this man on the Sabbath and he told this man, pick up your mat and walk. Well, why was this a problem? Well, last week we we saw that the Sabbath day, which was Saturday in their time, was supposed to be a day to rest and enjoy the blessings of God, to praise him, to thank him, to worship him together as his people. Now, now what could be wrong with healing a man on that day where you're supposed to be thankful to God for his blessings? Well, as we said last week again, by this time in history the Sabbath had become this religious box to check. It wasn't so much that it was about a, having a day to rest and worship God together, It was more of a way to demonstrate your own goodness as a person, your own righteousness, by following the extra man-made rules about what constituted work or not on a Sabbath day. It was an ancient virtue signal. John says that the Jewish leaders began to persecute Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Now, they might say something like, I could imagine, who or what gives you the authority to go against what we teach about the Sabbath? In his defense, Jesus gives an answer, but his answer only gets him in more trouble, okay? He says, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. Like who are you to bother me for working on my day, the Sabbath day? Well, this really is significant because jesus here is claiming that god the father in heaven the creator the maker of the heavens and the earth was his father now in the old testament and at certain times and places in the hebrew scriptures god might be referred to as the father of israel but no one before jesus ever spoke or even envisioned god in this way in the in the uniqueness of the closeness of the relationship that Jesus says that he has always experienced with the father in heaven. God as as personal father, this is really unique. And the proof that this is unique is the response of the Jewish leadership. They went from persecuting him to wanting to kill him, to put him to death. And it was because they rightly understood this claim was not just that he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his father. He was making himself equal to God. Now, if Jesus was telling the truth, and if in fact he is equal with God, then of course he would have every right to do whatever he saw fit on a Sabbath day, right? It's his day, it's his universe. Where did the original command to keep the Sabbath day holy come from? If Jesus is God, then he not only would have authority over the Jewish leaders' like interpretation of the Sabbath commands, but the Sabbath itself. He, as he says elsewhere, would be the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, of course, if he was lying about this, his identity, then he would be guilty of blasphemy which under the Old Testament law was deserving of death. Will Jesus walk back this claim as so many political leaders tend to do? <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't mean that, <laughs> what you want to kill me for. Well, let's see as we continue. We'll look at verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself he can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does the son also does for the father loves the son and shows him all he does yes and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed for just as the father raises the dead and gives them life even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it Moreover, the father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Okay, time out, Jesus. Like, you're, what if you were one of his disciples? You were like, you're making things worse. You're, stop, please, while you're ahead. Now, to listen to what Jesus is saying here This is really one of the clearest and I think most amazing Christological passages in the Bible. Christological meaning a teaching on the person and work of Christ. Now Jesus here, it's almost like he pulls back the veil between heaven and earth and he says, he reveals this supremely unique relationship that he has with his father. He says, remember, very truly I tell you, Now, throughout John's gospel, that's like a highlighter saying this is what's about to come is really important. Amen, amen, literally, I tell you. This means, pay attention, the son, I, the son, Jesus is saying, can't do anything on my own. I only do what I see my father doing. And then Jesus gives, almost like he's this lawyer on trial, laying out his defense, he gives a series of for or because statements. Why does Jesus only do what he sees his father doing? Because, first, whatever the father does, the son also does. But why, Jesus? For, because, here's why. Second, the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Incredible. Incredible. Incredible! The relationship, this is true. What this means is that the relationship at the heart of the Godhead, of who God is, is one of love. Now we could, comp- we could contemplate this for the rest of our lives and that would be enough. Mm-hmm. Because that would mean that the ultimate reality underneath everything, the whole cosmos, is perfect loving relationship. Yes, Jesus says. And he will show you, he will show him, the son, greater works than these so that you will be amazed. Just wait and see what my father. Whoa, why, Jesus? Four, Because third, just as the father has authority over life and death and judgment, so the son has been given the same authority in order that he might be honored too, just as the father himself has been honored. Now it's the time for the son to get some glory. Now notice this isn't Jesus seeking his own glory. This is Jesus obediently responding to a loving father who wants to lift up his son. Whoa. So what Jesus is saying here about himself is... Totally unique. No one ever has made a claim like this before or since. Every other major religion, if you study other world religions, every other religion in history had a prophet, a human prophet or two or many prophets perhaps, who made claims about how we people might be able to gain God's blessing or favor or you know, good crops or a big family or whatever, whatever people wanted to have out of life, however they might find peace or find the good life in this world. But only Jesus came claiming to be God himself, claiming to be the one and only, the divine son of the father who was a love from before the creation of the world. And yet he doesn't use this divine identity to his own advantage as I would. (laughs) I would have abused that privilege all the time. But Jesus came, as he told Nicodemus, so that we might be born again. We might be born of the spirit. Dead people would come to life and be healed and be restored and be set free as children of God loved just like the father loves the son. He came, as Jesus told the woman at the well, as the Messiah, the chosen one sent from heaven in order to provide living water that wells up to eternal life. He came as he demonstrated with the official son and then the man at Bethesda in order to heal and restore and provide freedom and life Jesus doesn't walk back the claim of equality with God. He doubles down and says, this is absolutely my identity. This is absolutely who I am. This is the authority that I have. It's like Jesus is saying, you wanna know what gives me the authority to heal this brother on Saturday? because i'm the one and only son of the father and he loves me and he sent me to do stuff like this but then as now when we are presented with the actual christological claims of jesus himself we have a choice how do we respond We see the consequences of this choice next in verse 24. Look back at that. Very truly, I tell you, highlight this. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Do not be amazed at this for a time is coming when all who hear, all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. The theme of John's gospel is all about finding life in Jesus' name. And this is why he wrote these words. At the end of his gospel account, he tells us, This is why I wrote to you. And here, Jesus again is very clear. This is what we need to find today. Truly I tell you, if you want to find real life, if you want to find eternal life, then whoever hears the word of Jesus and accepts it by faith has eternal life. We have nothing to fear on the day of judgment. We've already crossed over from death into life. Now this is what it means to be born again. You might be physically alive, but spiritually dead. But by faith in Jesus' name, you can be made alive wholly, spiritually. And it's in this spiritual life that you will find the life that will sustain you even beyond physical death. Very truly, I tell you, again, this, this whole passage is full of this stuff. Pay attention to one more thing, okay? Jesus is saying a time is coming when this age will come to an end and the dead will be raised and all of us will give an account of our lives to our creator. And he says, this shouldn't be surprising. Don't be amazed at this. There have been, (laughs) I think Jesus could say, we've been trying to tell you for years. Okay, the Old Testament is shot through, full of statements about this coming age and what God will do. He has told us what he will do. And those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. But, and here is the heart of the good news of the gospel. Jesus was not sent this first time to condemn the world. Just as John wrote in chapter three, but to save us from a world that is already condemned. And what good news is that? However, all this teaching is still based on the word of Jesus. So the Jewish leaders, I would imagine, they might respond, well, okay, this is all a very interesting story, Jesus. Uh, But still, how can we know that what you claim about yourself is true? Like, is there any evidence that you can provide to back up all these wild claims? Look at verse 31. Jesus goes on to say, if I testify about myself, My testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor. And I know that his testimony about me is true. Jesus is going to call some witnesses here. You have sent to John and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you might be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light and you chose for a time to enjoy the light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice or seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Okay, one last pause on our journey before before we land the plane here, okay? This part is awesome okay i love the bible so jesus makes these wild claims from maybe from the perspective of some you know i am the divine son i'm equal to god the father i i've come from heaven i wasn't just born i came into the world all of these things and 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 then he says you want proof you want some sort of validation for these claims of who i am i'll give you three things first didn't you respect john the baptist Now the leaders are on the defense. Well, yes, we did approve of his ministry. And for a time, remember you enjoyed his light? (laughs) Uh, But remember what he said about me? What did John the Baptist say about me? Let's see if I can remember back to John chapter one. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the light of the world. He's the one you should follow. I'm not the Messiah. He's the one I was preparing you for. And then Jesus kind of tosses aside John's testimony, saying, like, I don't really care about human testimony, but you guys seem pretty excited about John. And he li- John, John is great, okay? Jesus says, I, got, I, got a better, I have a better witness than John, in fact. First witness was John. Second witness... He says, I have testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the father has given me to finish. The very works I'm doing testify that the father has sent me. Look, look at what I've been doing and what have I been doing? These are the signs of his ministry. These are the signs of celebration. These are the signs of healing. These are the signs of restoration. We'll see. These are going to be signs we're going to continue to see in John's gospel of feeding the 5,000 and having powers the creator over creation and walking on water and ultimately having power over life and death and the raising of Lazarus, his friend from the dead. Jesus says, look, what does this tell you about who I am? These are the works the Father, I'm, I'm doing them. How could I possibly be doing these things unless I had the spirit of the living God within me? Finally, third, Jesus says, aren't you supposed to be Bible experts? Aren't you supposed to be experts in the scriptures? I hope Jesus never tells me something like this. You study the scriptures because you think that they contain the path to eternal life. But those scriptures are about me another wild claim of Jesus. If it's not true, this is bonkers. But if it is true, the whole Old Testament, Jesus is saying, was about me. The whole record of what God had done throughout the generations was pointing forward in to our need for the coming of Jesus, pointing forward to what Jesus would accomplish that God had promised he would accomplish, and pointing forward to this moment in human history when Jesus is doing what God promised he, his chosen one would do. Jesus wouldn't have to have have done this. He could have just walked away from this conversation and yet he gives us this threefold testimony to validate his identity as the beloved son of the father. You don't know if you can believe me? Listen to John. Or listen to my father and the works that I am doing in his name, or listen to the scriptures. But if you do not listen, if you do not believe, then you are still on the same sinking ship of this broken world, and your man-made rules around the Sabbath will not save you. Jesus is the lifeboat, and it doesn't matter how religious or good you think you are, or other people think you are. If you fail to get on the lifeboat, you'll go down with the ship. Let's finish this with verse 41. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. Oof. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. Oh. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Oof. But do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Oh, do you feel the emotional weight of this? How, so how do we know that Jesus has the authority to say and do the things, maybe seemingly crazy things, or, or perhaps offensive things? that he says and does. How, how can we be sure? How can we know? Well, Jesus points to his unique relationship with God the Father in heaven and then to his threefold testimony validating who he is. But in the end, what does this have to do with us today? Was this just a first century AD kind of religious squabble in the edge of the Roman Empire? Well, I believe this teaching confronts us in two ways today, even today. First, we too need to consider and come to a decision on who this Jesus is. Do we believe his claims to be the son of God? Do we believe that he was sent in the world into the world to be the savior of all? This really is the most important question. But second, how we answer that question will have major implications as to what we do with the word or the teaching of Jesus. Whether we're talking about sexuality or gender or money or forgiveness or the Sabbath or anything else. Don't reject Christianity because of the ethical claims without deciding what you believe about Jesus first. Because if Jesus is who he claimed to be, then he has every right. He would have all the authority in heaven and on earth. He would be the Lord of all life, not just a part of this, not just of this part or that part. But if he's not who he claimed to be, then he would have no more authority than you or I. So what about you? Who do you say that he is? He is. Do you find him compelling? Do you find his arguments plausible? If so, then I would just encourage you to keep going. Keep going. Keep listening. Keep thinking about this until you too can answer for yourself. Is this Jesus really the son of God? Is is he the way to find real life, eternal life? If so then let's follow him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your patience. (laughs) We thank you for, I guess, making a defense of yourself before people that were very skeptical, if not hostile toward you. For Lord, you revealed, I believe, the truth about who you are and about your mission in this world. And in in a way, Lord, that is actually, I think, really, really helpful for us, whether we believe today or not yet believe. For, Lord, you want us to know you. You say, I know you. And you know whether or not we have the love of God in our hearts. And through your ministry, Lord, you make it clear, you desire for us to know you too. So Father, for those of us who do not yet believe, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to see you for who you truly are. For those of us, Lord, who do believe and maybe wrestle with different aspects of your teaching or wrestle with the cost of following you, Lord, I pray that this this question would again settle for us in our minds and our hearts that you are the Lord, and you are the Savior, and therefore we can trust you, and we can follow you, even in the areas of our life where we're not sure, or we're hesitant, we're scared. So Lord, we ask that you would help us, minister to us even now by your Holy Spirit. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.